Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we're also on Twitter, and you can check us out over there. But we're translated into many different languages for listeners outside of the country, and we're very proud of that. The calling number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and Sacred Era is every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you'd like to help me keep Sunday sacred, check out our little Bible study every Sunday, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, the same station. Okay, I have a few announcements here before I get our great guest on tonight. I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, get your tickets early. We're really looking forward to hearing about this rare presentation that's coming to L.A. Debbie Jordan Calvo, who will be one of our special speakers, April 4th, 2015. Debbie is also known as Kathy Davis, the subject of Bud Hopkins' best-selling book and Tracy Torme's uh, TV miniseries, Intruder the 1992 Intruders miniseries. Uh, and it's, we're all really looking forward to that. You can go to www.ciro international for more information. I think it's only 15 at the door. And there is, usually there's like breakfast or after. So uh, the, the presentation goes on till like, let's say, 9, and then after that everybody goes over to the nearest coffee shops and hang out with the guests and get to talk more. Anyway, also, uh, Gary Bobroff is the primary developer and facilitator of Archetypal Nature work, uh, Workshop, and it's www.archetypalnature.com. And he's been delivering each Saturday a new think cast uh, on the Archetypal Nature and uh, Carl Jung and the reemergence of the feminine and things like that, and uh, he also is talking about his book, uh, Young and Crop Circles. So uh, get on over there, and it's at www.gsbobroff.com, and very interesting series. I think they have one more Saturday. It's this Saturday. And also I want to give a shout-out to Robert Salas' wife, Marilyn Salas, who's they're both my dear friends, and I love Marilyn so much. She sent me this beautiful spray mist that she does with special essential oils, and she gave me a little crystal that goes with it, and it's supposed to be, like, good for praying and blessing yourself every morning, so I do it when I get out of the shower. And uh, I love my little kit, and I use it every day, and I've been using it for a month now, and I feel real, really feel blessed. It smells real good. It smells like a soft incense. So if you want to order yours, 
contact Marilyn at info at loveblessing.com, or you can reach her directly at P.O. Box 1075, Ojai, California, 93024, or send her a email at healer at com. Now, tonight we have an extraordinary guest, and I'm really proud to have him on, Butch Witkowski. And he's uh, the founder, director, and UFO Research Center of Pennsylvania, editor, okay, J-A-A-R, and Journal of Alien Abduction Research, member Institute of Frontier Science, Paranexus, consultant and advisor, and he's a ufology member from the Academy of the Ufology, and former MUFON chief investigator, star team investigator, and state section director. He's also a former law enforcement officer. He's associated with TNN for TN Research. And uh, I'm going to give you a quote from Butch. He says, I've been an independent researcher since 1989 when I, along with four other people, witnessed a UFO of unbelievable, unbelievable size quietly hoovering over a mountain in Tucson, Arizona, and it was totally silent. And he's going to describe it. It's burnt copper in color and has at least, listen to this, three football fields in length. And it moves slowly up and down and then rolls upwards and then it was traveling at extraordinary speeds. Anyway, uh, he's going to tell you that extraordinary story. And then he started the UFO Research Center in Pennsylvania in 2009, and that's where he's calling us from. So I'm going to welcome Butcher Board right now. So welcome, Butcher, live on the Paranormal and the Sacred. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, it's just so exciting because uh, you're the uh, nuts and bolts guy and it goes out there investigating and everything else. And uh, I have a feeling that you're also a type that wants to get to the bottom of things and get the truth and you want the facts. Is it, Am I right? Yes, absolutely. And the evidence, of course. Yes, and you want to get the evidence. And I would, would I'd like to start out with... Uh, where where are you from, Butch, and what started this whole interest? Well, the the original sighting back in 1989, that's what started it. Um, you know, when you see something and you're standing with other people, so you know you're not crazy. And then you call around, uh, especially in a city like Tucson, the size of Tucson, you call the sheriff's department, the police department, the uh, all the media, you call the Air Force Base uh, and the airport, and everybody says they didn't see anything. How can that be? So it, it kind of went from there to, um, you know, I started getting books because I never really had any interest in it. So I started getting books together and reading papers, and, you know, after a while that got to be crazy because all I was doing was amassing a large amount of paper and a lot of books, and I wasn't getting any answers, so I joined MUFON, and, uh, which um, set me on a different path. It, it allowed me to do more in research and get involved with taking uh, other people's information, and, and still wasn't quite what I was looking for. So I started the research center, and although we have a lot of members uh, that uh, belong to MUFON, we also have members that are, um, you know, have come from a lot of different backgrounds, and uh, some of these researchers have been at it for a long, long time, some longer than I have, and they're abduction studies, they're paranormal studies, they're uh, cryptozoology studies, um, um, ex-police helicopter pilots. Uh, law enforcement, current and former, 
uh, forensic uh, specialties, uh, photographers. It just goes on and on and on. And, you know, having a group like that together is so much better than just, you know, filing a report and turning it in. Then uh, if one of our people gets a report, say, in, in Oklahoma, you know, they can bounce that report throughout the whole group. And we have two groups over in Europe also, in Poland and in England. So everybody gets to share that report and put in their two cents. And a lot of times it helps a lot. <laughs> um, or if you, you, you get something maybe paranormal that you don't understand, you can throw that to the out there to the folks that do the paranormal. Or if it's something esoteric or, or Fortean. I mean, it, it's it's just a neat way of doing it. And we're in our fifth year. We started in 2009. And... Um, we're working really well. <laughs> it sounds like it. And um, it sounds like you got a lot of good, solid people there. And his site is www.uforcopcop.com. And I went over there, and it has a lot of uh, up-to-the-minute information and also where you're going to be seeking next and has all where a place where if you have a sighting, that you can register your sighting, which is, I think, really good because you're really uh, collecting, uh, you know, witness uh, encounters. And I think that it should be kept up to date because uh, sometimes, you know, people, I've heard a couple of times people think, oh, this UFO thing is almost over and everything else. I go, I don't know what you're talking about because I feel like (laughs) things are getting stranger all the time. Don't you? Like what we're hearing, to me, I'm hearing and experiencing stranger stuff. Well, yeah, we have, too. Uh, uh, From creature reports to, um, you know, paranormal talking dolls to uh, abductions. Um, Some of the reports that people send us took place a long time ago, but Mm -hmm. they never talked to anybody. They never told anybody. They'd just been landed on their chest all these years. And it's fascinating that, you know, you get to read, somebody will send a report that might be 30 or 40 years old. And I can pull up a report that I just got yesterday. It might have just happened yesterday, and it's almost identical. So this stuff's been going on for a long, long time. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, it's just, it started back in the 40s, and it ended in the 40s, and it started up again in the 60s, and in the 60s. You know what I mean? It's been going on. Since day one, I'm sure. Um, yeah. We don't know what they are. We know they're here. We know they've been here. Um, I have people that ask me, well, what's flying that ship up around? They're making that. Well, how do I know? I I have no idea. All I know is there's nothing we have on this earth that can do that. So, you know, it's just that constant looking, constant taking of information, and and trying to put evidence together. And without evidence... All you have is a great story. So, yeah. which we like too. We like the good stories too, but we do want evidence. And um, uh, can you describe to me because I'm I'm actually so fascinated um, that you say the uh, the ship that you saw was burnt copper in color mm-hmm. and was at least three football fields in length. Uh, mm-hmm. You saw it first of all. What made you notice it? Well, was it moving? Like no, we were actually standing in in my driveway. We lived out there at the time, and uh, some young fellows come in to put some saguaro cactus into my yard, 
and they were all finished. My wife got some uh, cold drinks. We were sitting out, standing out in the driveway, drinking cold drinks, and and just you know just drinking, looking up. I mean, you couldn't miss it. This thing was huge. It was uh, it was that length. Plus, it was a good six or seven stories high. It was uh, really. It reminds you of a dirty, burnt penny in color. Uh, it had um, some green lights on the side, very faint. You could barely, barely make them out. And it was just hovering above a mountain. And it was, I mean, it was silent. There was no electronic disturbance. I mean, nobody's hair was standing on end. And it just kind of bobbed, you know, very slightly up and down. Uh, my neighbor across the street saw it. My neighbor next door saw it. We saw it. And everybody's looking at the same time, and it rose up about, I don't know, maybe 1,500, 2,000 square feet, and, or square 2,000 uh, feet, and just shot off, just gone, like a bullet, headed west. <laughs> that was it. That's the end of it. What was it? What was its shape? It from where we were standing. Now it could have been a number of shapes because of the angle we were standing. Um, but to uh, to to everybody that was in the driveway. It was. Uh, it looked tubular, but it could have been tilted a little bit. I mean, it could have been something other than tubular, but it just looked like a tube, and and the ends were kind of like not totally pinched, but closer together at one end and the other, kind of like a cigar shape. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it was. But for nobody else to see it but us, that was just. I didn't believe that a bit. No. Um... Did it have? Did it appear to you to have a mottled color, or was it uh, just the one consistent color? No, it was one consistent color. It was uh, uh, when you look toward the back of it, it looked darker. When you look toward the front, it looked lighter. But it was it was the same color all the way through, and it just looked like a really old, dirty penny or a burnt or a burnt copper pipe. You know, it was just. Looked like it's been around for a while. Let's put it that way. Yeah, how how just how strange. Let's say when I ask people what they saw and they describe things like that, um, then you know they really saw something. You know, really, because I, I have seen something too, but it was more of a little gray. It was a little size of a VW in a matte gray color. But I had I didn't see any seams or windows or how it was put together or anything. Did this thing have any windows or seams oh. or? No. It was seamless. There was no nothing that looked like rivets or, or seams or welded area. It was just um just totally one solid piece. And you know, that's really the best I can describe it. But the speed with which it took off was just like one second it was there and a millisecond later it was gone. And it went westbound. I mean, you could. I mean, it it when it rose up before it left, it just rose up, you know, and just kind of stopped and just shot away, gone. <laughs> it was funny because I remember so, everybody was silent. And my neighbor across the street, who at that time was the head of federal prisons for the United States, uh, western part of the United States, and he yelled over across the street, said, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, but we hear that a lot. You know, well. Yeah, that's weird because I work for uh, Bureau of Prisons right now. I'm a counselor for uh, federal inmates, you know, but I have uh, they're out in the outpatient, let's say. But mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it seems to actually, to me, intentionally show itself too. 
at certain times. I mean, it's it's like it wants certain people to see it, and you know, it's all kind of mysterious. And uh, this the the size of it makes me think. Uh, like, if you were thinking if there was something aboard, did you feel like it was being driven by something or someone? Um, no, I really didn't have any feeling at all an amazement that something that big could be floating in the sky quietly and silently. I mean, there was no noise whatsoever. Um, I have two dachshunds. We've always had two dachshunds, and the two dachshunds we had at that time, I mean, they were laying in the yard. They were just laying there. I mean, you would think they would have freaked out. They just laid there like nothing was going on. And uh, I... I to, to me, the, the, the strangest thing was the immense size. I mean, just the size of it, the sheer size and the silence. How did something... At first, I thought it was a blimp. When I first caught it in my eye, I thought it was a blimp. But then, very quickly, you know, you could tell it was not a blimp. Uh, but it was an amazing thing to see. And, you know, my wife and I talk about it all the time. But one thing that we have seen over all these years of research is that if somebody sees one, if they have a really good sighting of one, they will see another one. They will see more. Yeah. Maybe not really, like, see one one week and one next week, but we have many reports of people that said, well, you know, I saw something like this when I was a kid, and now I'm in my 30s, and I just saw this, and it looks the same as the same thing I saw back when I was a kid. So... Another unexplained, you know, are are just certain people meant to see them, or do they make themselves um, visible to the same person or persons over a period of time, like so you don't forget what they look like? It's very hard to understand. It is hard to understand, and then uh, what's happened to me? It's me and my best friend have ongoing sightings, and. I wanted to ask you about uh, something that is really strange. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Uh, sure. Where I stay right now, usually I live at the beach, or right now I'm inland a little bit. But I uh, I live near uh, a refinery, and Dow Chemical Company has been here for years and years and years. So it's I've been watching the Dow sign change, you know what I mean, over the years. So it's changed yeah, yeah. its name. So now it doesn't say anything. It just says AM, A-M-S-T-T. Why and sky, so it doesn't say Dow anymore. So I've been watching that, and uh, there's something really strange. My friend called. She says, "Okay, me and my husband were driving down Crenshaw, and we all of a sudden thought we were on a dirt road in the 70s." And I went, "What the heck? That's what are you talking about? Like describe it?" She said, "Yeah, it was like we were set back in time, and it was sort of like uh, we saw trees and." on either side, it was like also, it was like this road, but in the 70s, and I just, you know, when somebody tells you, so since me, well, both of us have been abducted together, and her husband on certain occasions, uh, and we've had these weird experiences, I listened, but I didn't have the concept in my brain what she was talking about, so Monday I was going to work, and um, this is what I thought I saw. I thought I saw something very unusual. You know how uh, they have those big, big tanker trucks, uh, trucks that are really beautiful, like they're so shiny, they're like a mirror? Uh-huh. You, you know what I mean? So then yeah. on the back of it, things reflect, you know, on those trucks, right? So this right. is what I right. thought I saw. I thought, look at that new invention. They're kind of playing 
a movie on the back of that truck. And it was about a road with trees on either side, and it looked like it was from another era, like out of the 70s. I went, I can't hardly believe it. This is, you know, like they're running a film on the side of a truck as an advertisement. That's what I thought I was looking at, okay? And uh-huh. then I, I, I put the pedal to the metal trying to catch up with this truck. There wasn't any truck. It wasn't a truck at all. It was more like a square uh, scene, a window. And then it just disappeared because I had, uh, you know, when you're going around a road, you kind of change your angle a little bit. And then I didn't see it anymore. I was so stunned because I was looking at the railroad tracks and everything. I was trying to figure out, like, where did that big truck go? But I think when you see it, you're actually, what I saw was what they saw. I don't know if they're doing experiments over here or, or something strange. People talk about portals. That's not the only time something like that had happened to me, but... It's the first time I'm out in the street and see something like that. So what's your opinion, sir? Well, uh, there have been a lot of sightings, uh, even by pilots, where they're looking at clear sky and they'll see what they think is a flat black piece of paper flying through the sky coming at the craft or going past the craft. Or uh, it, it... it resembles a, a turned-off television screen or a computer uh, monitor. And uh, people have watched those, and then they start to see what looks like, in, you know, uh, to them from a distance, like it's playing a movie or something. They can see movement. Huh. They can see people. They can see uh, scenery. And then it just vaporizes. It goes away. Um, I have I've, never heard this before, but I really uh, have. Well, there are, I, I, there I have are, no concept of this, really. There are, there are. Uh, uh, we were on a paranormal uh, investigation uh, a little bit back, where <clears throat> um, these folks saw this in only in their kitchen would see this black square or a rectangle rather uh, come through the wall and just kind of hang around in one corner of the kitchen and then just vaporize. Uh, sightings come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, they come in, in, in squares and rectangles and ovals and saucers, the classic saucers. And uh, uh, One of the things, uh, orbs, you know, we have reports of orbs that the descriptions by the folks making the reports, and we just had one, uh, are... They're the size of a beach ball. They get very close, within 500 feet or less. Um, and the inside looks like a, a, an old 60s lava lamp. They're almost translucent when they get close. Uh, we had one guy in Washington State where it passed within six foot of him. So um, what they are, we have no idea. People, Some people call them scout ships. Some people just say they're just watching, you know, they're just like mobile cameras or something like that. But the phenomena has not changed. It is still full of uh, very strange things happening. Uh, it's full of high strangeness. Um, the the reports are uh, so similar from, it doesn't matter where you get them from. You know, one report, you'll get a report and you'll go like, wow, that's something else. And you, you start to look through a database and you can pick up 10 reports that are just like it from different parts of the world. So, um, again, you know, unlike, you know, well, you know, Bigfoot, they have no evidence. 
whatsoever. Right. A lot of blurry pictures. Uh, but it depends. It depends on the investigation itself. I mean, you know, how far do you want to? If you just want to look up in the sky and see something streak across the sky that's zigzagging back and forth, or stops and goes straight up, or turns color, or vanishes, or breaks into three or four or five, you can find that on any pretty much any clear night. But if you want to document the things, then then you need the equipment. Then you. You really have to go out there uh, with more of a forensic mindset than just, you know, going looking through a pair of binoculars. Those days are done. I mean, um, you know, looking through binoculars and and calling up a radio show and saying, hey, I just saw a UFO. Wow, you and how many other million other people saw it. So what we've one of the things we've done from the very beginning was we, we wanted to put together a mobile unit, a unit that had everything in it, that no matter what we were called on or what we got, when we got there, we could take care of everything and try to extract evidence, whether it was forensic evidence or photographic evidence, witness testimony. Uh, so we have two mobile units in the state. We have one in the east, one in the west. And they have um, satellite communications. They have built-in computers. They have uh, um, satellite phones. We have radios. We have um evidence gathering uh kits we have um uh everything is either military or police grade uh, the only difference between one vehicle in the east and one in the west is the one in the east has repelling equipment the one in the west has um diving equipment because our, our fellow out there is a certified diver and people say well, what do you need repelling equipment for well you know every now and then you know when you get on these things especially uh, with a cryptid you know you may be going into a cave and i don't know about those people but if i'm going into a cave and i don't know what's in there and i don't know how far i am i want to be tied fast to something like my truck right, right. <laughs> you know in case i need to get well, out of there really quick all i have to do is get behind the wheel and hit the gas um uh, evidence uh, gathering uh, is very important, and I know a lot of people say the best way to study UFOs is to read a book on UFOs. Well, that's not quite true. The best way to study UFOs, uh, paranormal or cryptozoology, makes no difference, is read books on how to gather evidence, uh, how to take a report, how to um, um, question a witness, uh, you know, how to do things on the positive side instead of stumbling through everything. And another thing is safety. You know, uh, I watch some of these programs where people are stumbling around in the dark in an old house, and, uh, you know, there have been more than or through a cemetery in the middle of the night with no flashlight. So there have been a lot of people that have been hurt over time. But, uh, you know, we have trauma kits. We have uh, ladders. We have uh, emergency lighting. Oh, God, that truck has so much stuff in it. Uh, all our cameras are, um, with the exception of maybe a handful, are infrared. We have television grade CCD, VD cameras. We have um, time-lapse cameras. Um, I buy one more camera, and my wife is going to kill me. But, uh, look, that's the only way you can do it. You know, you put all the cameras up, and you face them in the direction you want to watch, and then you can sit there and watch them on your computer, or you can sit in the truck if it's cold and watch them on the computer. But, you know, standing around, uh, looking through binoculars, that doesn't cut it anymore, because, first of all, you're holding a, you're trying to, you see something through binoculars, so you grab your camera, now you got the camera in your hand, 
you're shaking, you're excited, and what do you get? You get a blurry picture. So yes. the camera's all solid. When you mount the ca- camera's all solid on tripods or a few of ours are mounted right on the truck, you know, you're not touching them. So whatever you see is a good, clear shot. And uh, we've gotten some fantastic stuff. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's how you do it and, and uh, what you do with it. I mean, if you're going to just put it on Facebook, well, that's fine and dandy. Or if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, you know, get together a database of your own and present your database at one time, that's another thing. But, you know, the older investigators are all pretty much all gone. I mean, from the very beginning, those guys like, you know, Dr. Heineck and, and those fellows, yeah. they're, they're gone. So then you had this other rush of folks come in. And now they're starting to go off, and but the younger group that we see coming into ufology, uh, much smarter, you know, they have, they know how to use that computer, they know how to use that camera, and for God's sakes, folks, let me tell you one thing: that camera on your belt, that's also your phone, will not take a good picture of UFO. I don't care how much money you paid for that phone, because you're holding it, and if you're holding it, you're shaking. That camera has no stability or stabilization to it, so all you're going to get is a blurry picture or a blurry video, which could be anything. Um, The hoaxes, of course, are up really high right now, um, especially with these uh, helicopter drones you can buy for a couple hundred bucks on eBay. The guys are putting LED lights on them, a couple batteries, and they're flying them all over the neighborhood. Uh, Pretty easy to spot because they do make noise. They're not silent. Yeah. Um it's it's a different ball game now. Um we're a non-profit. We don't charge for anything. We don't take donations. Uh everything that we buy including our our vehicles and their brand new vans um come out of our pocket. So I find that not taking donations doesn't really make me beholden to anybody. <laughs> Well, you're free to do your research and do it what with what you want to do, which is yeah. which is uh, great, you know. And I think at your stage of the game, I think you've developed the maturity and the know-how that you just want to get out there and do it your way, and uh, go ahead and do you know uh, do uh, do you have a, a series of checklists that you bring with you? Do you uh, how do you pick your people? Uh, they. I, I don't really pick them. They kind of pick me. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, we started out with four f- folks that I knew and then other people that I had met through over time uh, expressed interest, and uh, they were in different states, of course. Some I've met at conferences, um, and it just went from there. And um, we're in 12 states and two foreign countries, and we have another couple states coming on shortly. Which is really neat because you know the things that are experienced here, like in eastern in the eastern part of the country, are sort of different out in the western part of the country. And I think a lot of it is uh, the uh, weather. Uh, best time for us to see and photograph is when the weather's cool, uh, um, October, November, September, when we have cool nights. And then, of course, in the wintertime when we have a clear night, cold, clear night, and and the trucks have uh, they have heat, uh, not 
truck heat. They have portable heat. We have portable heaters. We have portable stoves. We can make you a pot of coffee at 3 in the morning if you'd like. Uh, but, um, you know, out in the western part of the country where it's pretty much warm year-round, um, they get a lot of haze, a lot of overhaze, a lot of cloudy days. And um, although we get some good pictures from out there and some good video, it's not quite as good as the stuff we get from the eastern part of the country during the cold season. Because when we have a clear day out here, it's like a clear day and a clear night in Tucson. I mean, you can see the stars for a billion miles, and same thing in the West Coast. But um, just seems like here we got. Um, although we'll have a clear sky and it'll be a starry sky, it just it's not quite as starry, so it's really easy to pick something out that's moving. You know what I mean? Yes. And and uh, where when you have a, a whole sky full of stars everything looks like it's moving if you just keep staring at it long enough and that's why i say you know if you're going to take photographs or you're going to do video put it on tripod and do it that way i mean you can almost any camera you can get a uh, remote a remote uh trigger for and they're very inexpensive like seven eight bucks brand new um all our cameras are we all our cameras are nikon and and panasonic lumix uh, expensive cameras, yes, uh, but they're all set up differently. Some have infrared, some are black and white, including video. Um, I think the smallest megapixel we carry is 16 megapixel. Uh, everything else is above that. But our pictures are clear. You know, uh, we can really shoot a lot fast. Uh, our, we have our our um, one automatic Nikon, uh, that thing will shoot like 10 pictures per second. So uh, if something is moving, you know, we can, even though we're shooting pictures, we can see that, well, if we look at this is Venus, okay, and here it's in line with Venus, and now it's over here, and now it's over here, and now it's over here, and now it's up here. So, you know, we can track it. And I know it sounds like um, to some people a waste of time, but what we have been able to do is separate different types of craft. Uh, certain craft do certain things, uh, like a fast walker will move across the sky from horizon to horizon in a second or two, but it'll be zigzagging all the way. Uh, we were out on a, a watch last year uh, where we were at a state park, but we get we go there because it's. A, Low light, there's no light infiltration. Uh, it's a nice wide open area. We can see horizon to horizon. And they know we're coming, so they lock us in for the night. And the state police will stop by and check with us. Really, they stop by to drink our coffee. Uh, but but uh, we were there, and we were looking out the front, and the trooper was standing behind me talking, and he said, did you ever see anything like this? And turned around to the rear, and one was coming across the sky very slowly. Then it stopped, dropped, made a U, and came back up and went on, and then stopped again and went straight, turned bright red and straight up into the sky. I said, nope, wow. never seen anything like that. I said, you ever see it before? He said, no, I see those all the time. Wow. So people say, you know, how do you see these things? Well, you got to look up, you know. Uh, but... Equipment's very important, and nobody has to go out and spend a, a gazillion dollars like we have over the years. 
you get a decent pair of binoculars, get yourself a decent camera, a tripod, and you're pretty much set. A tape recorder or, you know, a digital recorder so you can talk about what you're seeing, so you can document it, and you're good to go. And there are a lot of places where uh, there's a lot of small groups out there that hold star watches all over the country. And, I, you know, I always tell people, I say, find one that's having a star watch and go. I mean, you know, dress accordingly, take a little something to eat, a little something to drink, take your camera, your binoculars, and your digital recorder and go do it. That's the only way you're going to see them. Your chair, and your folding chair. Yes, because you're going to be out there for a while, because to me, it's, this stuff doesn't just show up on demand. And, no. Uh, what do you believe about people that say they can uh, call on UFOs and they'll come at demand? Do you think that's possible? Mm. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, uh, they don't I've, seem to I've, be minding I've... me. That's why I'm asking you, because they don't do what I tell them to do. I tell them to stay away, they don't stay. I say, okay, show up, they don't show up, so they do what they want to do. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the guy that was uh, Yahweh, uh, that guy that could call him in, I mean, he's been proven wrong so many times. Uh, And um, I had a guy get a hold of me not long ago. He went to that um, uh, thing out in the desert that they have every Uh, year with Dr. Stephen Greer. And... uh, he said, I swear, he said, you know, he started calling in, whatever, and he said these two lights appeared off into the horizon. And he said, I could have swore they were car lights. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> he, said, he said, just like he said it, it's like somebody turned on car lights. He said, that's what they look like. They didn't move. They didn't go left, right, up, down. They just stayed there. And then he said, okay, something like, you know, you can go away now, and the lights went out. And they didn't come no. back on. And I went, okay. wow. How much did that cost wow. you? <laughs> he said a lot. <laughs> I said, okay. That's just, that's just not right. Um, you know, what? this is why I get very irritated with people trying to convince you of these certain things because there's, to me, a ring of truth to it. I don't know if you feel it. Yeah, but I don't know if you want to call it your gut feeling or whatever. I always have a feeling about it. You know what I mean? I'm trying mm-hmm. to keep an open mind. I really am because I'm having so many strange experiences. I'm a lifelong abductee along with witnesses and also family and best friends. So there's a, like a lot of history and current things happening. So I'm trying to keep an open mind, you know, and then you try to live a life, a normal life, a working life, you know, and still have all this strange stuff going on, you know. But I really get so irritated when people are faking all this stuff like uh, crop circles or, you know, it's two drunk Scottish guys or, you know, stuff like that. We don't really need a lot of this to muddle the territory. But on the other hand, it's good to keep to your sense of humor. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Um, because stuff you is know, funny, I have to admit. Oh, yeah. There, I, I get stories sometimes that I, I, I about fall off my chair. Yeah. But, you know, uh, abduction is real. Abduction happens. Um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Elaine Douglas. Uh, she, she's she been way back, you know, she started her 26, 30-year worth of research. 
And uh, that's why we have the Journal of Abnormal Abduction Research. It was actually the Journal of Alien Abduction Research, which was started by Elaine back in 2006, I believe. It ended in 2009 because it was just getting crazy. I mean, people were calling in, uh, you know, hoaxes and jokes, and, you know, it, it just got out of hand. And she said, enough's enough, and she stopped it. And... Yeah. um Elaine and I got to be friends over the years, and um, I said to her one time, I said, I'd really like to resurrect the journal to give people a place to go or stories they could read of real abductees. Uh, And we we tell anybody who wants to send anything on on their abduction to us, and, you know, if it's worth putting out there to the folks, uh, uh, I'll publish it. I'll put it out there. No names or anything like that. Just send me the story, and we've gotten quite a few. And also a place where we could put down the names and addresses and and, and confirmation and locations of these different groups out there that can help an abductee uh, so people have some place to go uh, to get information or maybe just to talk to somebody. Well, um, we put it together. We changed the name, of course. We took Alien out and put Abnormal in there because all abductions are abnormal. And um, unfortunately, uh, she passed away um, three days before we put the first uh, issue out. Um, all her papers, um, her, all of her research papers uh, were given to uh, uh, our, one of our group members out in, uh, in Oklahoma, and her library of 30-some-odd years is in my den. No, anybody could read that many books. So wow. between her books and my books now, I probably sit in the middle of a library. Well, that's wonderful. I, wonder if I, can get some, I should be able to get some government assistance for this. <laughs> I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking that a resource center where people can study, you know, specifically yeah. this. I can just see it. I just saw it. As soon as you said, I saw it in my mind's eye. We've been trying to put together a brick-and-mortar research center now for probably as long as we've started. only problem with that is, uh, you know, um, just to get something small, uh, a storefront or or, uh, a part of a building or anything like that, you're talking these unbelievable phenomenal amounts of money. I mean, they want, some places want $75 a square foot, uh, you know, and then when you do find something that's affordable, you know, it's like, you know, it needs a roof, it needs lighting, it needs heat, it needs a bathroom. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, we keep looking, and hopefully we'll find something um, that we can move all this stuff into one place. We would like to set up, because we have microscopes, we have uh, uh, we have all kind of scientific equipment, uh, electronic equipment that we really tote around, but then when we're done, we take it out and put it in the garage, which we would like to put in one place and use in one place. I, our right. idea was to set up, you know, set the library up that people can study and look and also maybe set up three or four computer uh, stations where we could load them with all the nothing but um, UFO, cryptozoology, and paranormal stuff. And they could come in and they could, they could sit down they could go through, you know, databases that are out there that they don't even know exist. And um, uh, they could watch videos or, or look at pictures or whatever. But, again, it's just cost prohibitive because of the the amount of money they want just to, you know, I even tried to buy an old church. Yeah. But 
but the the town that it was in decided that they needed a new parking lot, so they knocked the church down. Oh boy, that's not good. No, uh, and then I, I thought you know somebody said to me one time, well, why don't you get a couple of these? They call them training trailers, you know. Uh, yeah. To move. And I said, yeah, I looked at a couple of those also. They're like twenty five thousand a piece. Plus, you got to yeah, find the place. I wonder. You're not going to fit know, in my backyard. Okay, I wonder if uh, you know we could just put the thought out there that there would be a wealthy person that would actually be interested in this stuff and start funding some of this. You know, because we we all need a uh, benefactor. You know, to start this kind of stuff because we have the doers and the benefactors that would assist the other people. Because I really believe in that. Too, but it's really hard to find somebody that would help support the cause. I'm sure yeah, and then you have to be really careful who that person is. Yeah. Now, look at MUFON when they got involved with Bob Bigelow from Bigelow Aerospace. Look at the problems oh. that caused. So, you know, if you get somebody with the wrong background, uh, but with a lot of money, I mean, you could be asking for more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, they have to be. I just keep uh, hoping I hit the lottery. If I hit the lottery, we're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's my retirement plan so far, the lotto. So I don't know if this is going to be right, but well, somebody's <laughs> got to win, Butch. Anyway, so now there's, uh, you know, there's a uh, something else I want to talk about that I, I really wasn't aware of that uh, you have been researching is that um, in 2005, you there was some human mutilations, very much like the catalyst. Mutilations, and I was quite startled uh, to read about that. Do you want to tell our listeners something about uh, what happened in your research behind this? Well, the mutilations go back to the 16th century, 15th century. Uh, There have been things found in documents over in England where people have disappeared uh, from the town. And look, back in those days, the English kept records on everything. They, on their wars, on their properties, on their people in a small hamlet, um, how much money the king had. I mean, everything was on paper, and it was all kept in the churches. And um, uh, reports were found um, from the 16th, uh, 15th and 16th century where people had disappeared, and 24 hours later they were found either hanging in a tree with body parts uh, missing or uh, on a roof uh body parts missing. Uh, one guy was found on a, uh, disappeared and was found on a coal pile. He was still dressed like he dressed that morning. Uh, he had parts missing. But the most famous case is the Guadaparanga dam, ca- dam case in Brazil. And um, uh, that is uh, a couple guys were fishing in the dam, and it's a man-made dam and lake. Uh, to, it supplies the water supply for Sao Paulo. And they saw what they thought looked like a body on the shoreline of an island uh, that sits out in this middle of this dam. So they went and got the police, and the police showed up, fortunately for everybody, that they showed up with forensic people. They showed up uh, with photographers. They had everything there. And the gentleman, they say, was gone for anywhere between, you know, 40 and 70 hours past but yet he was—he had no liver mortis, no rigor mortis. He wasn't blown up. You know, he doesn't look like a dead rabbit that got killed in 90-degree heat. 
Um, he uh, the body was pretty much unremarkable as far as decomposition. I mean, uh, the pictures are the pictures are on the internet. I mean, you, you can see that the gentleman you you can see his face. I mean, it's, it doesn't look any different. Um, he uh, had some puncture holes, uh, uh, which are reminiscent of the same holes and the same size that have been found in cattle mutilations. Uh, lymph nodes were removed, um, uh, lower intestinal tract, uh, anus was cored out, eyes removed, lower jaw, uh, ears. Uh, so uh, basically what took place with what takes place with a cattle mutilation you now have with a human mutilation. And it's the best documented case, I guess, because a few years after the case, the autopsy report and pictures came out uh, to the public. And we have the autopsy report, and we had it translated from Portuguese. And one of the things that's in this report that sticks out is called, and it's in there seven times, vital the words vital reaction. Now, uh, vital reaction, as um, a lawyer would use or, or a forensic scientist or a doctor would use or a police officer would use during a death investigation, means that... Uh, the person was alive when somebody cut him with a knife or shot him in the arm with a gun or whatever. And what vital reaction shows is if you would stab somebody with an ice pick, well, of course, they'd pull away. Well, when they pull away, they're actually damaging tissue. And around the wound itself, you'll see either tear marks or you'll see black and blue, you know, uh, just like if you'd puncture yourself with a nail by stepping on it, you'd see black and blue. Yeah. And... um the difference between vital reaction and non-vital reaction is if you took a uh, um, a piece of meat and threw it on the table and stabbed it with a uh, a knife. Well, it's not going to turn black and blue. It's not it's not living. It's already dead. So all you're going to see is the knife. You know the knife mark, the the penetration, the slice. Well, what that means is that all this stuff that happened to this gentleman happened while he was alive. Oh God. And um, there are animal cases like that, uh, the Snippy case, and that was not the real name of the horse, and I can never remember the real name of the horse because I called her Snippy so many times. When that horse was found, the two investigators are on the scene saw that the eyes were removed, and the one investigator, because the horse was lying on its side, and they said, well, if the eyes were removed uh, and the horse is down, then the viscous fluid from the eyes would have flowed across the face and off to the side, correct? And the guy goes, sure. He said, but in this case, the viscous fluid flows straight down the snout and off the nose. So he said, this horse was standing up when it, when this happened. Horrible. So, so what is doing this? Well, I, okay, so they're gathering or, organs and materials, organic materials for some type of Oh, study there's or lab kind of study or something. Yeah, I, that's what I want to know. What's the explanation? Well, there's all, and I should say speculation. Uh, some people say they're food gathering. Some people say they're they need uh, certain organs to exist uh, in our in our in our space. Uh, they need uh, they're experimenting uh, using these parts for hybrids. Uh, I mean, there's just all kind of stories, but nobody knows. But the same parts that are taken from cattle are taken from humans. 
Now, we just had cases in the last three years of sheep in England that are, I'm going to say, a little different because here the brains are never touched. And over there, the sheep are showing up with a a triangle mark, uh, like three holes in a triangle uh, near the ear, and the brains are missing. But they still have all the other characteristics of a mutilation with the jaw and the eyes and, you know, udders or sexual organs or anus cord out, you know, all that's the same. But in these cases, they're showing that the brain is missing. So what that's all about, nobody knows. Well, really, you know, we don't know. We don't know what they're doing with all this stuff or, or you know, you know, you talk about this stuff and you read this stuff and all of a sudden you get shades of Dulce, New Mexico pop into your head. You know, is that a true story? Or is that just, you know, put out there to just put us in another direction? And that's yeah, another thing. You know, mis- yeah. misinformation and misdirection by whoever plays a big part in ufology because it's really easy to send a ufologist off on a wild goose chase, goose chase get him all pumped up, put out all kind of stuff and to make him look like an idiot in a matter of minutes. So um, I always tell folks, you know, just believe what you see and what you can identify and what you can't identify but you have evidence of. Don't take anybody's word for it because most times if they're not writing a book, they're making a movie. If they're not making a movie, they're going to star in a movie. If they're not starring in a movie, they want to be in a movie. Or they want to write a book. So, you know, look, I have 12 books here on Roswell. 12. Which one of these books do I believe? Which uh, one is the truth? The one that you're going to write? No. You know, so yeah. there you go. 12 books on the same story with 12 different opinions. So which one do I believe? None. Until I get to Roswell and look myself. Right. So you, okay, so I want to ask you what your, uh, have you been to Roswell yet? Yes. Yes. What do you think about the that whole place, which I, for some reason I love that place. Roswell's you know I mean? a neat town. Like it's, it's really it a neat town. A, I got there, when I got town. there, it had just... It had just had a, 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 a really one of those southwestern thunderstorms with hail and all that stuff, and I just missed it. I mean, by a matter of minutes, I missed it. And the damage was unbelievable. I mean, car windows and stores and signs and all that stuff. But Wow. Uh, it, it's just a weird area. You know, when you get out, it is weird. you stand there and you go like, hmm. I don't know if I should really be here or not. <laughs> but... It's, it's, well, there's uh, that one area with the white dunes was kind of startling. So when you're coming in, uh, so I, I'm coming from this way from California, there's mm-hmm. these, like, stark white dunes in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's very odd to observe. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're quite beautiful, but they are just white. You're talking about the white they're sands? White. Yes. Yeah, that's in Alamogordo. Yes. And yeah, you would go up past Alamogordo, and then uh, coming from California and going through that way, I I would I would be coming the other way. But yeah, you would just go the opposite way, and then you'd be I forget what the route number is, but you you'd be making a right hand turn. Where when I do it, I would come the other way, and I'd have to make a left hand turn. 
but um yeah. it's it's a you know there's there's been a report of a of a human mutilation uh in New Mexico in that area uh that goes back uh where um at the air force base there uh where they test missiles and stuff white sands missile range uh they had uh, a, a sergeant lovett and his uh colonel went to retrieve some uh materials from a missile shot and uh the colonel hears the sergeant screaming he gets over a dune to look, and the sergeant's being pulled up into what he described as an unknown craft. It takes off. The sergeant's gone. Two days later, they go back while they're still looking for him, and they find him on the ground uh, in the same way the guy in um, Brazil was found. And that was in 1958. So when you start going back and looking at these cases, I mean, they're flat-out scary. I You know, well, <laughs> I mean, they're flat-out saying that people are alive, uh, I don't know why that would be necessary, but um, that's that's like the worst horror movie or thing that could happen to a person, really. But uh, well, look at sure well, why are they? Why out. do they just leave the body? I mean, yeah. you know, uh, the the guy laying out there in Guadalajara Dam, uh, uh, Bliss, Idaho. There was one where the guy was laying out. Uh, these sheep, uh, when you go back into these old reports from England and, and, and Europe where these bodies are on top of roofs, why are they laying the body? Are they just being, you know, wise guys and saying, like, you know, you don't scare us. We can do what we want to do. So if we're done with this body, we're done with it. You can have it back. Who knows? Does it leave any credence to the story of Eisenhower meeting uh, with extraterrestrials and making a, a government deal where, you know, you can take so many people and just give us, just bring them back, okay? And you know, we'll sh- you can share information with us, and we'll let you do it. Um, a little far fetched, but possibility, sure, it's possible. Anything's possible. Yes, so, that's, what, that's what I'm finding out. Especially, you know, what I've learned tonight when you just told me about that movie in the sky. I mean, I really didn't know what my friend was describing, her and her husband were describing, until I saw it. But my mind had to try to make it sound feasible. You know what I mean? But that's not what was going on. It was actually a screen, and I was showing something for some reason. I I don't understand. That just happened Monday. So this stuff is very mysterious, uh, really. I have a question for you. Uh, Do you believe, uh, from chat, do you believe that human-like aliens live among us, that are living with us? Yes, and they have been for a long time. Uh, look, look uh, here, here. Here's a simple way of looking at it. Go back to the '40s, okay? In the '40s, you have the uh, uh, the Foo Fighters, the little orange orbs and larger orange orbs that are following not only the American pilots, but they're following the German pilots, they're following the Japanese pilots. Everybody thinks everybody else is spying on them. And then you have after the war, you have this great development. I mean, you get things start popping up like microwaves, um, uh, cooking, different ways of cooking, uh, advancements in automobile technology, in uh, science, in in that in that time span, that, that twenty thirty year time span. All these things, like all of a sudden, the whole world got smarter, which is kind of hard to believe the way they screw everything up. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you know, the microwave was used for, at first it was used for radar. 
and then it was they found out that you know if it was controlled you could use it to do this you could use it to cook you could use it to destroy germs you could use it next thing you know they're in your kitchen um electricity grids are changed completely from what they were i mean if you remember back when you were a kid i'm 68 years old so i can remember back a long time you know when you look back and you, I remember the telephone poles, you know, with all these lines on them, lines and lines on them. Everybody had a line going to their house. Well, you don't have that uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. That kind of goes away, where now you have one line, two lines, maybe three, and that supplies a whole block or a series of blocks. So yeah. uh, advancements in, in planes, you know, you know, people think that, you know, when you talk about the U-2, that that thing started flying that altitude, you know, in the 70s and 80s. That thing was flying in 1957. Yeah. So, well, look you at know. technology. Uh, you know, I had a, like a, I don't know, a, a strange dream. I had this dream, God, a long time ago, 30 years ago. And I told my mother, and she, the way she looked at me, you know, my mother has always been a little scared of me anyway because I have all this weird phenomenon going on. But anyway... I told my mother, I said, you know, Mom, someday everybody's going to have a computer in their house and it's going to be a black screen. It's going to be flat and black. I see one yeah. in every house. And this was 30 years ago. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? Because, you know, any computer we knew what took up the size of a room. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what I was saying is that I just came to me in a dream. I saw flat, black screens. You know, yeah, and you know, you're only talking about 50 years ago. 50 years. That's what I'm so, saying. You know, 50 years ago, uh, uh, to um, uh, computers were mechanical. You know, they had to punch cards and all this and that. And they took up. I, I, I've seen pictures. Uh, a friend of mine was involved in computers very early on. And he showed me pictures, old pictures of uh, uh, the computers that took up like six, eight, nine thousand square feet. They had exactly. to be climate controlled. They had to have this. They had to have all this power and this, that, and the other thing. And he said, you know, what we got out of those, he said, my cell phone on my hip right now has 15 times more power than that did. So in 50 years, we go from seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 square feet of metal and electric and punch cards and all kind of screwy stuff. Yeah, the cards, yeah. To a device yeah, the that you're... Yeah, the little memory is like so many gigs, it's just... When I had, oh, yeah. I was, I need an upgrade on my Android. Can you believe it? I'm on an Android. So I'm six. I'm just in July. I'll be 63. So I'm still in the wonderment uh, about everything. So I have a tiny little memory card. I mean, mm-hmm. tiny, small than a postage stamp. I didn't, I couldn't even put it in my phone. I had to have one of my young, uh, young people. I said, could you put this in here? And he put it in like it was nothing. And I, because yeah. I couldn't understand on that chip, is another whole huge memory system. It's like having two androids. You know, the, uh, the friend I was talking about that was working on computers ever since when he came out of school and out of the military, which was where he was yeah. trained, he kept um, uh, some stuff, uh, you know, uh, like memories of the very beginnings. And in his den, he has a book, and it's two foot wide. It's almost two foot high, and it's about a foot and a half deep. And he said, "This is an old. This is an old program that I. One of the very first programs that I wrote when I when I got into the business." And I said, "Uh huh. And what exactly is it?" He said, "Well, it's actually a program that tells me how to get from home to work, and how to get from work to home, 
And I said, that's it? He said, that's it. I said, it's all that? He said, it's all that. I went, wow. how long did that take you? He said, oh, he said, six, eight months, I think, I spent on it part-time just messing around with it. I said, that's crazy. crazy. So when people say, you know, have they been here a long time? Hey, we're just not, not everybody's a genius. I mean, you know, look at the building, uh, how they build stuff now and how they, I mean, how cars have been advanced. Uh, I mean, just okay. everything, the advancement uh, over that per- short period of time had to come from somewhere. I mean, it just wasn't just one or two smart guys that sat up one day and said, hey, we're going to change the whole world. I mean, everything has well, changed. Well, how strange it is, because you remember when we were kids, you know, one person maybe on a block had a TV. And that was a weird big box with a little tiny screen in it. You know, it was furniture. You know, now it's unbelievable. We have TVs that are so huge and flat, and they take, you know, no space to hang up on the wall. But Not only that, but you can, watch, you, can watch, you can watch TV on your phone. You know, I have, so a, I, have a pad, I have a pad, I have a tablet, and I have, a, I have Android phones. And, you know, I can watch a movie on my phone. I can watch a movie on my pad. I can watch a movie on my tablet. I can listen to live news. I can do. I can listen to music. I can. I can search the internet. I can. I can go through the Encyclopedia Britannica in a matter of minutes. So you know, it's hard for people my age uh, or anybody over sixty to explain to a young person that there was no such thing as Google. No. It was the Encyclopedia no. Britannica. You know, exactly. that, that was your Google. You had a huge set of books. Yep. You had to keep adding to it, too, because, you know, they were... They were As uh, things changed, yeah, you had to add yeah, to it. They, remember? Because, uh, but one summer, I remember I was 19, I got so bored of it. And I was in Arizona at the time, very bored in Scottsdale. <laughs> I could never live in Arizona. I, I tried. But anyway, I was just, because of the heat, you know, you have to stay in. So I remember reading that whole set of encyclopedia. And now we have that data on our fingertips. You know, I'm still enthralled by it. You know, I think oh, the yeah. younger ones think nothing of this. This is this is all normal. But to us, I mean, like Wikipedia, all this other resources, it's endless. You can, and then, you know, even spell check is fantastic. Well, also or tell tell somebody that's uh, young that you know, if they needed to carry a phone around, like yeah. we had, the we had, they need a knapsack. <laughs> Those phones were heavy. I mean, uh, you know, you weren't going to you weren't strapping that on your belt, or you'd walk with a limp for the rest of your life. But uh, yeah, technology, uh, the the advancement in technology just says a lot, in my mind anyway, and a lot of others, that uh, somebody had to be helping us. Uh, we've had people, you know, over time. Uh, well, either it was a deathbed confession or, or they just said it from day one that, you know, and these were scientists and stuff that said, look, we've been getting help from the outside, and I don't need, I don't mean from outside the state. Uh, we're talking about just outside. And yeah. um, and another thing, you know, like uh, you have all these crafts that have been cited over nuclear devices. Um, the... Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, the Air Force Base uh, up there in, in North Dakota where the, the crafts came overhead and shut down the nuclear uh, weapons. Yeah, I mean, Captain Salas, Robert Salas yeah. is... Uh, yeah. And, yeah and uh, great guy. He and I spoke at the same conference oh, one he's time. He's great, and, isn't he? 
Yeah, I, I, his book Faded Giant is really something everybody should read. Yeah. And so, so he's, a, he's a great person, and he also tells the truth at all times. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. To me, I don't feel and, like and that's truthful. that's I'm, hard I'm to find in ufology. It's really hard uh, because that's a lot insane. of you know you, you you talk about embellishment. I mean, wow. Yeah. Well, you and, know, I wish I I didn't exaggerate, but you know, once in a while, I think you know I may fudge a little. I can't really give you an instance right now, but uh, but anyway, he doesn't do that. He doesn't make a story better. He tells you the truth, which isn't fantastic enough, you know, and he's kept the same thing and he's got all those materials that he collected right away before they realized what he was doing. So, you know, he's a gold mine, really. Well, so are you, you know. Um, it's just uh, uh, amazing to have somebody like you that's willing to put yourself out there because I guess, you know, if you come from, because uh, you were in the military too, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're in the military and then you're you're in law enforcement, uh, do you come from a pretty conservative background? I would say. Yes, very. Okay. So when you're very conservative, I think that that sometimes uh, you don't you only believe what you see. Uh, there's, uh, well, I don't know. I can't talk for conservatives. Some kind of like a moderate. Uh, well, uh, I, I think artist, artist type. I don't think, even know what to call myself. I think the best way to describe uh, a good, what I consider to be a, a, a good researcher, is somebody that's you know can listen to the story, and can look at the evidence, and can and can come up with a with a lucid answer as to what they think it is or what it may be. But it's the ones that do that without any evidence that make me a little shaky. Um, yeah. You know, without evidence, you have nothing. You have no nothing but a story. And I've heard thousands of them, and they should all start out with once upon a time in a galaxy far away. Right. Uh, well, they make no sense. Or you can, you know, uh, a case that we worked on where uh, this, this person just said it couldn't have happened that way because we had this hard, hard rain, and you couldn't see but two foot in front of your face. So I went back into the weather reports for that day in that year, which was 20 years ago, and it had rained 0.0.1 inches. Oh, boy. Wow. That doesn't even get your windshield wet. No. And it was in the middle of summer. Yeah, they shouldn't really talk to an investigator because you're the real deal. So you're going to check that story out. You know what I mean? Well, don't it's it, you know don't be facetious about it but you know as a researcher or an investigator and there is a difference between the two and i can explain that in a second but one of the things is when you get all your information uh you know don't do it if you can do it person to person that's great if you can do it on site that's even better sometimes that doesn't happen because you know the person really doesn't want you know to be that involved, but they want you to know the story. And uh, the difference between those two, an investigator, and we'll use a police investigator. Uh, a police investigator gets called to an accident, and there's a car into the guardrails, and there's a blown tire. Okay, so nobody's hurt. He sees the tires blown. He writes up his report, blown tire caused accident, car into guardrails, blah, 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 blah. Done. Now, the same 
scenario, you have the police officer get their blown tire, but the driver's dead. Okay? So now his investigation stops right there, and he turns it over to a researcher, a forensic researcher, who through their uh, knowledge and their equipment and their, their, their ways of doing things, they find out that there's a bullet hole in that tire. Somebody took the tire out. So that's the difference. One will take the information, the investigator takes the information, and then he turns it over to a researcher, somebody, a forensic scientist or a forensic person to take his information and take it apart and see if it's very possible that that's what could have happened or if that's what did happen. Okay? So a ufologist or a cryptozoologist or a, or a paranormal person has to be both. They have to be the investigator that goes out and gets all the preliminary investigation, and then they have to be the researcher that deciphers all that information and and to see if forensically it could happen or forensically it's impossible. It's that simple. But what you have on the norm is you have investigators with no researchers or you have researchers with no investigators. But the two have to be the same. They have to work together. Because if you gather evidence, and you know, just say you're you're on a Bigfoot expedition, and there's a clump of hair in a tree. Well, the investigator reaches up with his bare hand, which he just ate a ham and cheese sandwich with, and he picks it out of the tree and puts it in his pocket. The evidence is junk. It's destroyed. Yeah, it's over. Now, okay, because DNA or whatever was on it, it's done. I mean, you're going to get a great sample of a ham and cheese sandwich. Yeah. or whatever was in his pocket, and God only knows what that was. But if the guy had the researcher, forensic, even basic knowledge, the first thing he would have done was photographed it, measured where it was, backed off, took shots of it from different angles, all that um, happy stuff, and then went over and retrieved that with gloves and and, and sterilized uh, throwaway uh, tweezers, which are a dime a dozen, and put that into a sterilized bag and sealed it and taped it and signed it and dated it and timed it, now he's got something. Now he has tangible forensic evidence that he can take to a lab and have them look at. Hey, it may turn out to be his Aunt Mary's ponytail that fell off 20 years prior, but he did it properly. And that's the way it has to be done. It can't be done any other way. And when I see these guys on TV or on the Internet where they're holding up a, um, a, a broken branch that they said, this, look at this branch, and the, and the guy's barehanded. Now, he's telling me that Bigfoot broke this branch. He's telling me that. But he's holding it in his hand. So anything that's on that stick that he's got in his hand is now worthless because he's got his paw on it. He's sweating like a dog. He probably just had a beer. <laughs> so... Uh, evidence is the most important thing, whether it's photographic or it's uh, something tangible and that you can put into your hand and put into a bag. or I don't care if it's a grass or dirt. It doesn't matter. It has to be handled properly because as if you're just the investigator collecting the evidence and you're turning it over to a researcher, why would you turn over just a bag of dirt that you just, you know, I don't know, yeah. build your coffee in? So. There's a lot more to it than meets the eye, and a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, they think it's just go out and look around and do it and happy, happy, and go home and you did something. Well, nine chances out of ten, happy, happy, you went out and did nothing. Yeah. 
That's why you know, you know we have to have you. We have to have you on here and letting us know, uh, you know, what to look for. You know, no people have limitations, and they may not even be able to physically do that or think like that. But I feel like everybody has their part. And that um, I like what you're saying because to me, I'm picking up on the feeling that okay, cause so something happened that I, I don't know the full story, right? But it's like about MUFON. Somebody said we're no longer talking to experiencers or abductees, uh, and that we can't uh, depend on their uh, uh, evid- uh, uh, witness stories and stuff like that. And then um, I would like, I have a feeling that you're not one of those. You're not only scientific, but you're not discounting experiences either. No, 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 not at all. Now, you do know that MUFON does do abduction research now. Good, okay. They started... Is this uh, something I'm just lagging on for the last couple months? Uh, This has been going on for, as far as I know, probably about six months of some kind of... Yeah. Something like that. Uh, they have their own team out there. Um, I don't know what I have a name for it. Art team, maybe, or something like that. But um, abduction research team, the art team, and uh, uh, Kathleen Marden, Denise Stoner, uh, Michael Melton, oh, yeah. uh, folks you know. Uh, they're involved in it. Uh, some folks in there that I don't know that are involved in it. But it's just strange that for many, many years, as far back as I've ever known. MUFON never investigated abductions. They, that was just a no-no. Uh, they know more investigated abductions than they investigated Bigfoot or a ghost story. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just didn't do that. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, within the last, it's got to be the last six months, a year, yeah, that they awesome. gather the art team and they are doing it. Um, who knows why? I mean, I I can't answer that. Um why they're expanding into that field, I, I just don't know. I don't know either, but I do think it's important. I just think that, you know, uh, we have to keep an open mind yet be practical. You know, this is a very extraordinary thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, we're being uh, people that talk about this, people that are uh, trying to live a life despite being having, you know, abductions and stuff like that. You know, uh, false information has been put out there. People have been threatened by, uh, I guess, our government or the military or frightened into silence and shamed into silence by their own family. It's almost like when you're coming out for the first time as an alcoholic, don't tell anybody that. You know what I mean? You're ruining the family name. It's like that with UFOs now. Like, it's okay, now we get into rehab. If you're an alcoholic, okay, we know where to send you for help. Now it's like if you're an abductee, it's barely coming out from the underground, you know, but I think people like me, it was very hard for me to do that. Actually, what started it was Captain Salas. I met him out in Roswell, right, because I've been going to a recovery group, a support group for 21 years with Yvonne Smith. Do you know Yvonne Smith? Yes, yes, yes. yeah, okay, so that's that's who, you know, I, I went with from, I was recommended there by uh, John Mack, Dr. Mack, so this is how far back I go. I did reach out for help. I reached out to Dr. Mack at Harvard. He referred me to Yvonne, so I've been doing that ever since, which helped immensely, but I only really came out a couple of years ago, and it was actually due 
to I was in I was in Roswell and I was sitting at a table right next to Captain Salas, but I didn't know who he was, and he isn't the kind of person that will be showy and have a big badge and show himself. He's just not like that. He's just right. a gentleman. Anyway, and he's uh, humble. And, and and so he said, and I looked at him, and I was looking at his materials, and I went, oh, interesting. He said, do you know who I am? And I went, no, I don't. I said, who are you? He said, well, I'm Robert Salas. I'm, I'm the, you know, the captain of the misarranged whatever. He said, do you remember that? Because he wasn't sure how old I was. So he said, do you remember that Montana missing one? I said, do I? I remember, this is before I became aware that I was a lifelong abductee. I remember when I was a child, yes, but not as an adult. So I remember watching TV and remember watching that on TV. Because remember, it was televised. Do you remember that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, it was televised. So that's the first time I thought there might be really UFOs. I mean, if they're showing up on radar and stuff like that, I said, so I said, Robert, that's the first time you know, that I actually decided this is no coincidence and that, you know, how could you possibly in this whole random world meet the guy that that actually his situation made you aware that more was going on than you could see, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's very odd like that. Anyway, it opened my mind since then, you know, I'm a blabbermouth, so I'm trying to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now well, I can't uh, that, shut up. That can be a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was being uh, hurt, really. You know, when you're secret like that, you're you're really getting hurt because you can't tell anybody this horrible thing happened. I can't tell anybody about it. I resent it, blah, blah, blah. You know, at least you're getting help and you have some kind of safety net. Well, you know, um, there used to be like one or two groups um, throughout the country that were actually um, helping uh, abductees. You have more groups now have, have have come up over time, and and uh, one of the things, one of the groups is the Starborn group, yeah. Starborn support, and then you have the Free group, uh, which are both very large groups, and yeah. uh, they have all the wherewithal. They have uh, psychiatrists, uh, um, experiencers on their uh, on their staff. Um, and that's you know we we send a lot of folks to Starborn, uh, only yeah. because uh, they're local. Uh, oh, they're local for me. I mean, they have a, a group in, in well, Philadelphia. In Maine. Yeah. And and well, Michael Melt. Uh, they're good people. You know, oh, Michael yeah. Mel- yeah. They're they're all uh, good people and uh, just uh, constantly putting putting their head out there on the chopping block for the rest of everybody that that can't talk. And there's new people and young people coming up all the time. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if you have been meeting them, but I've been meeting some extraordinary young people. I mean, even uh, down to four years old. I mean, incredible. You know, in, in ufology, uh, we don't get the abduction cases like we get UFO reports. Uh, but when we get uh, these cases, you know, they're so extraordinary. Because when I first started looking at abductions, <clears throat> I, I kind of went at it at a different angle. I, I I read some stories, you know. I read uh, Dr. Mack's book and and uh, you know uh, uh, Dr. Jacobs stuff, and and um, met and talked with him a few times. And it was 
a thing that bothered me the most, which has gotten me into the human mutilation um, cases, is that you know the amount of people that are missing, and I'm not talking about the David Pallades type of missing, because he kind of stays in the realm of of um, the state parks and the federal parks system. Yeah, okay. uh, but when I started looking at it, I went to the CMS. Uh, I went from uh, CMS. I went to the uh, uh, the Crime Information Center, which uh, every year publishes every crime that's committed in every city, town, in every state in the United States. And how that's done is they send the police department a stack of papers, and it's just uh, questions and answer, you know, uh, yes or no, or multiple choice, or an actual number. So it'll start out with how many bicycles were stolen, uh, how many banks were, do you have any bank robberies, how many, how much was taken. You know, it's just an information sheet. And that's how they come out with, uh, they, uh, they always run a year or two behind, but that's how they come out with the crime statistics that you hear all the time on TV from reporters that this such in place has virtually no crime or this place has high crime or this is the amount of murders that took place last year or last month as opposed to two years ago or three years ago. So when I looked up abductions, the amount was staggering. I mean, it was just I went I went back into, um, I think I went back to 1990. I started in 1998, and I just did a 10-year period up to 2008, now I do it every year now that well whenever it comes out I do it um but it was um uh it was crazy I mean it made Well your numbers I, are I see your numbers 30,000 a year. Oh yeah. And that's been like that for a long time. So when you look at that and you come up with you know there are millions of missing people uh every year that are never found. I mean where are they? You know, and we're just talking about the United States. That has nothing to do with any other part of the world but the United States. So, you know, like if and whole villages have disappeared uh, in Africa and in 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 Asia. So now you have, uh, um, you know, they don't keep records. They could care less, especially in the Middle East. You I mean you could wipe out a whole town. Nobody cared. Nobody nobody ever looks. So if you take put that aside and just use the numbers from the United States. It's staggering. So where are these people at? I mean, according to this, everybody walking out their door tomorrow morning should fall over a body. You should trip over one. Wow. And no, uh, they're gone. Yeah, they're gone. I mean, they're just non-existent. Then you have planes for history. Go back in history. There are planes and ships and and uh, towns and cities uh, in Europe that just vanished. They're gone. They've they're like one day they've gone to places where. The, uh, the, that Inuit village up in Alaska, uh, where they got there, and there wasn't anybody. There was food cooking on the table. I mean, on the stoves, there was food on the table. There were uh, there. There was not a man, woman, child, or animal found in this whole town. It was like they left. They just packed up and left ten minutes ago, and forgot well, to they finish supper. Pack up. They, yeah, they didn't even pack up. They just they were just gone. Their bodies were gone. Mm-hmm. Physically, they left everything behind. Yep, every um, clothing. Okay, so strangely enough, our government is very quiet about this, and that makes me wonder, you yeah. know, why they aren't up in arms of their citizens disappearing or the voters disappearing. I mean, uh, what do you think about that that part of this? Well, uh, I, I this the. 
the the there has to be some kind of this this can't be so covert that nobody knows anything i mean it just has to be known and now who it's known by i mean you would think that anybody that could gather that kind of information would be the government so it's not like i could go out and do it or you could go out and do it oh we may come up with one or two or three cases maybe half dozen mm-hmm. But we're talking about hundreds of thousands and into the millions of people that have gone missing, and um, and those are those. And what's amazing in my mind is those are people that we know did exist. Like we knew there was a town there, we knew there was an Inuit village there, we knew this was there, this was there. Go back when there was no census or that type of government. How many people went missing then? You know, uh, the indigenous There's people. A lot more. Yeah, how many tribes disappeared? Uh, how many this disappeared? How many that? I mean, you just don't know. And worldwide, that number would be staggering. I mean, if you just took, if you took just the United States numbers and you use those same numbers in Europe, or you use those same numbers in the Middle East, or you use those same numbers in Asia, I mean, you're talking about billions of people, not millions, billions. So. What happens to them? Where they go? What's being done with them? Uh, why they disappear? And then I have people that have said to me, "Well, it could be interdimensional. Maybe they go to another realm and they go to a, a parallel universe." Well, now you're going to give me a headache because there's no proof of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm just one of those dumb guys that I just need proof. I need to have something to continue on, other than a good story. Uh, but you know, it's good to have people that do say that because it makes you think. And then, you know, after a while, you just, it's, it's you, you know, you're beating a dead horse. You're not getting an answer. You're just taking information and you're just filtering that information. And when you're all done with months of information filtering, you got, you're back to square one. And yes. Um, I, I just, uh, I know we have to just keep uh, getting the information out, keep talking about it, and I think that's the best thing, you know, ever, is that I have learned uh, so much from you tonight. Um, first of all, I'm in total shock uh, about this uh, movie thing, <laughs> this movie. I have not been aware of that, you know, and that's just like a new sighting on Monday, and I actually was trying to chase something, by changing my angle, it disappeared, and uh, I think that's very odd, you know, that, that people have seen that. You know what I mean? Uh, well, it yeah. Wasn't uh, my, it wasn't in my consciousness, and now it is. So, Well, odd. you know, a, a lot of the things that um, are, are, that come to mind real quick are things that are, you know, people see them, they report them, and then they don't really think that what they saw was real. But then, you know, I'm looking in a database, and I'm seeing the same exact uh, revelation from somebody else five years ago in another part of the country that matches theirs almost word for word. So when you find four or five cases like that, that, you know, you can go back to the person and say, well, you're not the only one that ever saw that. You know, here's a case from yeah. South Dakota. Here's a case from California. Here's a case from Texas. Here's a case from Louisiana. Here's a case from Missouri. And they're identical to yours. So what you saw is what you saw. And 
that's and what is it? You, we don't know. Yeah, we it's don't know, like but that I can tell you that you're not the only one that has seen something like that or described <clears throat> that uh, 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 type of craft or entity or or uh, or, or um, uh, diffusion in light or or uh, a flat surface type of vehicle or a triangle or anything like that. I mean, you know, the ones that really kill me are the ones that uh, a lady and her sister, a twin, from a matter of fact, they're from they are from California, Northern California, uh, sent me a report uh, that when they were young, and uh, this was in the early 50s. Uh, they both experienced a sighting, and they both experienced what they thought today would be called an abduction. And um, she sent me the whole report. I mean, they, they took days and days, and I got a five-page report of exactly what they went through, when it started, and what happened, what they saw, what they felt, the whole nine yards. And I'm reading this thing, and it's like deja vu, like I'm reading something that I've already read before. <clears throat> so I uh, was talking to one of my investigators, and she said, yeah, he said, I kind of remember that case. He said, wasn't that back in the 60s? And so we started looking. We found it. And uh, it was like the people that from California wrote the thing from the other person. I mean, I could have interchanged both, and even the wording was identical. The description of the ship, the description of the entities, the description of what happened the time of day, the location, how they were taken, how they were brought back, what they saw, what they didn't see. Uh, I, it was identical. I mean, almost word for word verbatim. And the time difference between the, the two ladies that saw it in the 50s <clears throat> as children and the report that we were looking at was in the mid-80s uh, by a set of twins, two guys. Mm. Now, that's just uncanny. Uh, everybody says, well, it's just coincidence. Well, even coincidence no. has its limits, you know? Yes, that's what I'm thinking about, um, that I heard, you know, broad daylight. Mine happened in daylight. I'm on my way to work. That my friends were actually driving the other direction, though. Coming, I was going, you know, west. They were coming from north to south, and uh, that's when they saw it. They described it to me, but unless you see with somebody saying to you, I really didn't have an image of what they were saying. They said, mm -hmm. well, it looked like to us we were on a different road and going like it's from the 70s. And I went, how peculiar, but we think we're in kind of a strange corridor anyway. And, I, and it's weird because, you know, when they're moving big, huge cranes and machinery around, they put warning music on mm -hmm. around here. You know what music they play? That theme from do, 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 do. Oh <laughs> yeah. And I thought, okay, the first time I heard it when I moved over here recently, I went, "What the hell is that?" And I think wow. I don't think it's just a joke, is what I'm saying. I think I don't know what to say about it. Okay, but that's purposeful. that's why I called her over there. I said it. Yes, it's, that's the good word, purposeful. And that's what they play. It's really loud, you know, so everybody in the town can hear it. So uh, now that when she told me the story, of course, you're trying to understand and keep your mind open at the same time. Okay, what is this? You know, you're trying to think. And then when I saw it, I was able to go back to her and tell her I saw this and this is what it, I perceived it to be. You know, I didn't feel like I was on a dirt road. I felt like I was watching a movie about a road. 
which is it's very peculiar. Mm-hmm. It's even weird to describe it. And oh well, I thought I saw it on a on the face of a mirror, but I thought it was extraordinary. They've come up with new advertising on the side of trucks. So oh well, that's not what I saw. <laughs> anyway, no, I, um, and and you know it's um uh the uh sightings are, are really on an uptake uh over the last three years uh yeah. we're getting more and more and more uh and it doesn't uh it doesn't seem to be slowing down i think abductions are up also uh i talked to uh, dr jacobs about that because i was going over some stuff and i said wow it looks like a 10 percent increase and i got a hold of him and he said he didn't know, but he would look over his reports. And when he did look over his reports, he he came up with the, the same thing. And he said, he said you're right. He said it is like a ten percent increase. He said, but I don't know why. And I said, well, I don't know why either. But uh, it could be that more people are more cognizant of what's going on, or uh, you know, they're getting in touch with uh, somebody that can help them uh, understand uh, something that they may have thought was just a bad dream. Um, so. Both the sightings and the abductions are up. Uh, creature sightings are up uh, really high. Uh, yeah. We've had one here in Pennsylvania that we're investigating right now where um gentleman's walking two dogs in a state park, and the dogs go absolutely nuts. They're, they're, they're just trying to get to something in the woods. He's on a road, uh, a fire trail, um, and the dogs are actually digging holes in the dirt trying to get away from him, and their Weimarana is a pretty big dog. And he's looking. He doesn't see anything. He's thinking, well, it's probably a skunk or a squirrel or something like that, you know. And he said, and out of the woods, he said, this individual (laughs) walks out, um, goes across the road and walks in the other side into the woods again. And he said, never looked at him, never looked at the dog. And I said, well, that's strange. I said, because if I walked out of the woods and there were two large dogs barking at me, I'd keep my eye on them the whole time. And he said, no, never looked at us like we were never there. It just walked across. And I said, can you describe it? He said, yeah. He said, he said first of all, he said, I want to tell you, it's not Bigfoot. He said, I know what Bigfoots are supposed to look like, and this isn't a Bigfoot. He said, get that out of your head. He said, there's no Bigfoot. It's not a Bigfoot. He said, it looked like a very muscular, well-developed man, like a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, only seven or eight feet tall. Uh, it had no distinguishing uh, tail or ears or uh, heavy fur coat, you know, it, it, it was covered in hair. He said, uh, short brown or black hair. And he said, the only redeeming feature I can remember, uh, from looking at it is it had a snout, like a, a protrusion, uh, from the nose and chin area, uh, like, 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 a like a pug maybe, or a bulldog, uh, type of, uh, uh, snout. And uh, the guy's a uh, f- uh, retired airline pilot, 40 years plus Air Force pilot. Uh, he said, I know what I saw. And he said, I'm never going back there again. Well, wow. He said, I just, you know, they went back the next day, him and a couple buddies of his, armed with rifles, you know, going to play Gunga Din here. And they, they went into one side where the um, uh, entity came out of, and they nothing they went into the other side where the entity entered back into the woods, and they got about 50 yards in. They all had the same feeling. We need to get out of here, and we need to get out of here right now. We shouldn't be here. We need to leave, and they all left. And he said, I'll never go back here again. He said, I've lived in this area and hunted this area and hunted that area all my life. And he said, I'm never going back. So I said, well, what what did you have a feeling of that made you, you know, 
you and the others feel like that. He said it was just a feeling of we shouldn't be here, we're in danger, we need to get out of here, we need to leave, and we left. And I went, okay. And we've had cases, um, a number of cases like that, where uh, not only in the crypto field but in paranormal where people went into a place and said, i got to get out of here now, and they leave. I've I've been in places like that or been near people like that, and believe me, You just stay away. You just don't even want to know or speculate what it is, you know. But uh, I have thought that I had a strange feeling one time. I was thinking about how uh, northern California is still so wooded and undiscovered and everything else, and I was wondering if there could be a being up there living and that it's, you know, totally different from us but yet looks sort of humanoid. And then I thought, well, maybe there is. You know what I mean? Sure, I don't know. Be. I haven't seen one, but there could be because there's such dense redwoods. If you look on maps, I mean, it goes on and on, forest and forest, you know, is up there. And there could be something living there. I just think it's incredible because we're talking like, as, well, we're finding out we're part Neanderthal now. I hope I'm not, but I haven't had my blood type done yet. But anyway, I might be. And uh, Neanderthal still lives, and would it be strange if another uh, humanoid type like a Neanderthal being still lived too? It could happen. Sure. And, and you know, <clears throat> one of the things, um, you know, with Bigfoot and, and it, going back to investigative techniques, you know, <clears throat> the idea of running around in the woods, screaming at the top of your lungs, nailing pork chops to trees, Hammering on on rocks and and trees with with wood knocks and screaming at the top of your lungs and all this other nonsense just makes me think that wow what a waste of time but a great television show I guess and yeah I wonder one of the things that bothers me is like okay so you do all this crazy stuff you go out there and you hoot and holler and scream and nail pork chops on trees and all this other stuff and take out cookies and donuts and bacon let's uh. Why isn't anybody looking for this guy's trash? Hmm. Yes, because that's the telltale sign of some kind of livingness is what they leave behind. Okay, so they we're surely not looking at the same one, so there has to be more than one, right? So if there's more than one, then sex is involved, so you have to have a female and you have to have children and old ones. Where are they at? Where do they live? How do they get you know they need water if they're if they're a humanoid, they need water, they need food, okay, the forest is full of food, and the forest mm-hmm. is full of water. so when they get these sightings uh instead of going out and knocking throwing pork chops up on trees and stuff like that, why aren't they looking in the area to see if there's any old abandoned buildings or old military bases or old factories? Pennsylvania's littered with them. We got factories oh, here that, you know, they've been standing empty since the eighteen late eighteen hundreds. So yeah. why aren't we check? Why aren't we checking those basements in those places to see if there's you know bedding or scat or remnants of of dead animals that were eaten or or anything? Nobody does that. And I'm just you thinking, like... You know, they like, just don't think of it. Well, they, they ought to, because walking around the woods screaming at the top of your lungs only makes you look kind of dumb. <laughs> Especially well, when you're nailing a, a you know, really good pork chops to a tree. 
I, I didn't know the pork chop thing was going on. I really didn't. Oh, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so spare ribs, pork chops, uh, frying bacon, uh, you know, getting your little cook stove out and frying up a pound of bacon. They say the smell brings them in. Uh, laying out Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kremes, you know, on a log, uh, leaving fruit baskets, uh, you name it. I mean, they've tried everything, but nobody's looking for their trash. Mm. They have to. Well, they they're, they're kind of looking for the the tracks and things like that, and they seem to be making uh, those plaster casts of these big feet and everything. But mm-hmm. I remember uh, one day we were watching that on TV. I was watching, sitting there watching with my my kids. You know, I have a very tall son with very big feet, right? So we were taking these plaster casts that held up his foot, and oh look, it's a, it's a like uh, I don't know what they said. It's 13 inches, something like that. And then my son said, oh, my God, I wear a 17-shoe my foot because of Sasquatch. And it could be anybody's feet out there is what I'm saying. But, sure. you know, people, there there are uh, Sasquatch believers. I had contemplated what it could be, and it could be some strange, uh, you know, uh, remnant of, uh I don't know what I would say Neanderthal. Maybe it's more ape-like, because that's what people are saying. But what you described is something I hadn't heard before, that it's more like a Hulk, like a man. Well, this this particular one, I mean, it's a strange sighting, because the first thing that people picked up on said, well, it's a dog man. Well, dog man and werewolf, you know, you've got to give me some slack with that stuff, because that doesn't register with me right away. Uh, but... So, if this thing never saw them, but they saw it, but it didn't see them, it acted like the dogs and the guy wasn't there. Was it was it interdimensional, which is a big thing right now with the Bigfoot folks? They're saying that that's why the the uh, footprints disappear, or there are sightings where there's Bigfoot walking across a field and he just disappears as he's walking into another dimension. And now they're starting to hook up the ufology, trying to make ufology and the Bigfoot paranormal dimension type thing all one. So they're saying that, well, that's why, you know, the the best one I heard was the guy said, look, ghosts go through walls Mm -hmm. and aliens go through walls. So therefore, it's the same thing. And I'm like, Mm. okay, so can I have the evidence or proof of that? Well, you just got to think about it. And I said, no, 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 forget thinking. You need to show me the proof. I can think about anything. I mean, I can think I'm the king of Siam. doesn't mean I am, but, you know, give me the proof. Well, they don't have any proof. There's no proof of interdimensional travel at all, ever, none whatsoever. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and the abduction scenario is not the same because most people, uh, when they see the entity, the entity is already at their side. There are very, very few reports where they see the entity walk through a wall or come through a window. or anything. I mean, they've experienced it going out but never coming in. It's mostly they're there or they see a shadow uh, outside the window, or they see a bright light. Next thing you know, there's some something aside of their bed or at the bed. So you know, I don't know where they're going right. with that. 
but it just you know everybody comes up with a, a a really slick answer but you know i said years ago you know you can buy these casts on the internet you can go on ebay and buy them there are companies out there that make them all the famous casts so so joe and his drunken buddy harry they buy a couple of casts they go out and put them in the fresh snow and then they call the local bigfoot group next thing you know you got a report yeah I wish people would stop doing that though, but they can't. But you can't stop the clowns from clowning around. You know what I no. mean? Because I would really, I really know that that usually if there's like a legend, there's some kind of grain of truth there to the legend or the story, mm-hmm. or it keeps getting passed down. Because you know, I had an issue with the crop circles too, and I just never felt any connection with them or anything else, and I wouldn't know why uh, if. Well, uh, being an abductee, if they're actually really direct with you, why would they write in the grass out somewhere? I, I don't know. I can put it together. Uh, yet some people are, you know, very mystified by it and, you know, have built, you know, many different theories about it. But I'll just have to remain neutral on it. So some things I have to remain neutral because I, um, I don't want to keep saying I don't believe you. I guess that's what I feel like. I just want to just say, you know what? That's interesting. That's an interesting uh, hypothesis you got there. You know what I mean? But I tend to be practical, and I and I do want to see something, you know, with my own eyes. But not everything. I don't have to see Australia to know it's there. I think uh, yeah. I know it's there. Well, I've never and, been there. Uh, you know, well, you know, one of the things, <clears throat> I guess, in in the whole genre of the paranormal is that it's everybody's belief system and yeah. you have people that will believe anything. I mean, I could tell them that uh, Casper, the friendly ghost is sitting in my den right now with me while I'm talking to you on the phone and they believe me. And then there are people that go like, you're certifiable. You need to get, see a doctor. But, um, what differentiates the good reports from the bad reports is the evidence. You know, it's either yeah. a video or photographic or it's tangible, touchy uh, evidence. Or, I mean, there's. Uh, I had a lady send me samples of uh, of a growth of a circle of white uh, in her yard that showed up pretty much over a two-day period. And mm-hmm. although I had an idea what it was, I told her, I said, well, don't touch it. Just go out and snip some off into a, a, a bag, a plastic bag, zip it, and mail it to me, and I'll have it checked. And it came back. It was just a spore. Uh, um, it's like a virus. I was, that, mush- I was thinking mushrooms or something. I was thinking. No, nah, it, it was a spore that grows on grass that gets wet, and uh, the temperature and humidity have something to do with it. But it just it usually grows in circles uh, until it mm-hmm. it starts in the middle, it grows out to a circle, and it dies. And in a few days, it was gone. And a matter of fact, the the stuff I, I had it here in a vial, and I was watching it, and uh, in three days it was just a little bit of dust at the bottom of the glass. So, um, that was and true. The, the lab told us the same thing. They said it'll just go away. It's just a spore. Um, well, who does but, your lab work? Uh, we use a couple folks. Um, we use a couple folks for that. We have also have photographic labs that help us out. Now, we do have state of the art photographic stuff in our computers because. Uh, you know, uh, whatever somebody sends me, I can take it apart and I can, you know, layer it to what I want to see, what's there. And a lot of the photographs we get are hoaxed. I, I, I'm going to say 95% are hoaxed. 
and about 5%, we just have no idea, nor does the lab. If I take them to the lab and say, okay, here's what I found, let me know what you find, and I give it to them, and they come back and they say, like, well, we found the same thing, so it's definitely whatever's there is there, or what it is, it is. But, um, you know, people will hoax anything. <laughs> I mean, they'll, yeah. send us planes, they'll send us planes that are upside down. Uh, yeah. One guy said that it was an entity uh, in his uh, living room, and it was just this form, and it turned out to be a very famous photograph of Marilyn Monroe. He just just he just discolored it, took out you know, made it all blurry and this that and the other thing. But he left the basic shape there, and when we started taking the layers off, we could see the face, you know. And then it was nothing to pick up the photograph. It was uh, Marilyn Monroe at a at some kind of uh, an award ceremony back in the. Uh, Late fifties, so they go to great. Well, lengths. they go to great you know. lengths, and they're they're. Oh, I don't know how to say it. I mean, I wouldn't even take the time to do a bunch of baloney like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but see, they're I looking for that story. Uh, that little bit of fortune and glory, that fifteen minutes of fame. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, I just can't figure it out. So, um, I, okay, so I know that. Um, Boy, we don't have that much time left. So, why don't you tell us uh, what you're going to be on next? Because I know that uh, you're be, you're going to be guest uh, a guest on a few shows coming up. Can you tell us when to, to give us some dates? And yeah, uh, March 30th, I'll be on with uh, Paul Eno and his son. Uh, they have a, a a regular radio show uh, out of uh, Boston, um, and um, <clears throat> it's called Behind the Paranormal. They've been on for about eight, ten years now, and um, we will be holding a um, paranormal roundtable. I'm not much for conferences because conferences are usually there to sell T-shirts and books, uh, and people get told the same old stories. They never get to really ask any questions other than maybe a five- or ten-minute period. And the roundtable is something that I want to do for a long time, and I got uh, some other groups. I got... uh, Ghost Hunters, Inc., they've been around since 1974, uh, the Keystone Bigfoot Project, uh, Legend Hunters, um, uh, Phantoms and Monsters, uh, Lon Strickler, and us uh, will be at the Albertus Community Center on April 18th from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And it's going to be a roundtable discussion on ghosts, paranormal, cryptozoology, UFO, cases of high strangeness in Pennsylvania and, and anywhere else. And it's audience participation. It's going to be open forum questions. Uh, people can ask what we do, how we do it, what we find, what we don't find, what's true, what's not, what type of equipment we use. Um, so it's just going to be a one-on-one with the public. And um, all the proceeds are going to go to the Albertus Lockridge Historical Society for the restoration of their 1870 Memorial Presbyterian Church, which is their headquarters. And I've been to that church uh, on uh, on a paranormal thing. And let me tell you something. When you look, you walk into a church that was built in 1870, and it looked like it was built the day before yesterday. That's very impressive. Oh, impressive. That place is gorgeous. Beautiful. It, oh, it's just gorgeous. gorgeous. I mean, the, everything is original. The hand-carved uh, pews, the, the the tall lead glass, not leaded glass windows, but uh, the, the um, I forget there's a name for the glass. It's very, you can't really see through it. You can see through it, but it's very wavy. I mean, it's the glass was not perfected like it is today. Uh, well, the old it kind glass. of melts. It gets big at the bottom. And year after year after year, that melt it kind of melts down the window. 
This, yeah. We're talking original vintage glass. Oh, it, oh it, yeah, it's all vintage. Uh, the original organ, the original piano, the original hymnals. I mean, everything is there. And then downstairs, there's a, a large basement under the church, and that's where this historical society actually is. But the whole place is the historical society. But they, they need a coat of paint. They need a few fix-ups here and there. So that's what the um, we'll be doing. All the proceeds will go to them. Um, uh, tickets are available uh, on the web, their website, which is uh, ALHS18011.org. That's Apple, Larry, Harry, Sam, 18011.org. And uh, uh, the price is really great because, you know, most of these conferences cost hundreds of dollars. And this is a uh, pre-sale ticket is 15 bucks, and ticket at the door is 20 There will be food on the premises. There will be uh, – we'll have one of our vehicles there. Um, um, all the folks are going to be there are a wealth of information. I don't care if it's paranormal or cryptozoology or – or the legends of Pennsylvania and the legend hunters. Uh, of course, everybody knows Lon Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters. And mm-hmm. um, uh, we'll be there. And it's just going to be a really great time and should be a lot of fun. And uh, people can really get to ask questions so the people go out and get their boots muddy. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, you have a website with all the information on it, too. It's uforcop.com. And he also has some incredible pictures of the, the sightings uh, photo gallery. There are some mm-hmm. exceptional pictures on there, I must say. The color, uh, the clarity, I can tell that it's first rate, and uh, that's what you're focused on. And, uh, again, uh, it's just been amazing to have you on. And uh, just give us an update sometime and you find some more new information out there and uh we, you know, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. It was really uh, an honor to have you on here because I know that you're a busy man and you've just got so much going on. And also for, uh, you know, telling us some of these things because, you know, people are experiencing things every day and it's very confusing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm the one uh get confused and kind of shocked. You know, like well, you know, if anybody would like to get a hold of me personally, if they go to the website and go to the contact page, uh, I think it's we call it terrestrial contact. (laughs) If you get to that, uh, it's the very bottom of the page. Uh, If they uh, if they just click on the UFO Research Center Pennsylvania, that comes direct to me. If they click on the other ones, it'll go to our sister station. So if it's somebody in Florida that has a question, or if it's somebody in California, Northern California has a question, if they just click on that Northern California, that'll take you to the person in Northern California that handles our stuff. So, uh, Yeah, so you're uh, offering your help. So get a a hold of Butch because, uh, you know, he's a real solid guy, and, um, you know, it's great to know him. And I want to thank you so much, Butch, for being on and – we just really respect you, and your your work is fascinating. And uh, keep up the good work, and uh, God bless you and yours. And I appreciate you having me on. I had a great time. You're very welcome. It was great. Talk to you later. Bye, okay, bye bye. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Well, you know, thank you, everybody. Uh, you have been live with the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. We had another gosh fascinating guest on tonight. I'm just my my mind is spinning thinking about. All the information is given us. So just please go to his website, get more information, 
www.ufo.com, and then uh, also attend the uh, events if you can. And go ahead and look at his pictures that he has on his site. Very informative, and it talks about all of the other programs that uh, Butch is involved in. And uh, I wish you all well tonight. I want to thank our chatters for the support and the steadfast, and they stay there, and we love them. And I want to thank everybody and have a great work weekend, and I'll see you next week when we have another wonderful guest, and uh, God bless you all. Good night.